Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. And welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Baranowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist, Jay Carson. Before we get to the news, I want to let everyone know that next week's show will be up a little later than normal. Uh, We usually tape Sunday mornings, but next Sunday, my wife and I will be driving back from the Midwest Political Science Association Conference in Chicago, where we're both delivering papers. That's exciting. Oh, yeah. Well, we we, we tend to do it every year, and so this year I have a a paper on... uh, how the Netflix show House of Cards affects students' view of politics. Hmm. And, and how does it affect uh, well, their view uh, yeah, of politics? Well, I, I actually I taught this course uh, where the, the course material, the book, as, you, as it were, were was uh, House of Cards. And uh, it's not surprisingly, it makes cynical students even more cynical about politics, which is hard to believe because they're already pretty cynical, though they really mm-hmm. enjoyed it a lot. So I, they, they reveled in their cynicism, I guess, is, is, the, uh, is the result. So I don't really know if I should be trying to make students more cynical exactly, but, but there it is. So, Well, sounds, sounds interesting. Well, it, it, let, let's hope so. Anyway, so uh, just want to let is everyone... There, is there going to be video of that that we can post somewhere? Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, okay. That would be that would be truly, truly awful. But if anyone's interested <laughs> in the paper, I'd be happy to send it to you. Just send us, a, send us an email, mailapoliticsguys.com, uh, and you can get my, you know, my, my very own research paper on the politics of House of Cards and how it makes cynical students even more cynical. All right. Uh, on to this week's show. And, you know, we start yet again yet again with the status of the ongoing Russia investigation. Uh, This week, the House Intelligence Committee's probe ground to a halt, a halt engineered by the committee's chair, Devin Nunes, who Democrats argue is actually working with the White House to torpedo the investigation. Now, the Senate inquiry is much less of a, a farce with a strong show of bipartisanship between Intelligence Committee Chair Richard Burr and ranking Democratic member Mark Warner. Now, also this week, Former Trump National Security Advisor Mike Flynn volunteered to testify about Trump campaign ties to Russia, that is, if he receives immunity. And that's a stance that his former boss, President Trump, publicly supported, despite the fact that both Trump and Flynn have repeatedly said that anyone who asks for immunity is almost certainly guilty of something. Uh, President, now, now, President Trump continues to contend that the investigations are a hoax that Democrats are focusing on because they're electoral sore losers, despite the fact that Republicans in both the House and the Senate support investigating. So what do you make of this week's developments, Jay? Well, first, I I think to say that the the House investigation has ground to a halt, I'm not sure that's that's exactly accurate. Uh, There's been nothing new coming out there, but... Uh, well, Nunes been, did cancel. The, the, I mean, he did cancel a, a number of uh, hearings and so forth for the week. So sure, it, it's, I mean, but canceling hearings is different from saying the investigation's off. We're done here. Fair enough. Fair enough. It, um, it's it, the momentum has slowed. How about that? Momentum has slowed. Absolutely. No, I'd agree with you on that. Okay. Uh, and that that may likely be a good thing. Um, uh, in in terms of let's get everyone up to speed and see what uh, documents, uh, what uh, details. Um, that uh, Chairman Nunes has that uh, Democrats haven't seen yet. Uh, so that we're all on the same page. Uh, so I think that's, that's good there. Um, when it comes to the immunity 
uh, issue. I mean, I guess I guess that sort of as as a lawyer, listen, if I'm if I'm uh, Mike Flynn's lawyer, uh, absolutely, that's the deal I'm going to insist on. Uh, not because he's he's guilty or may not be guilty, but but because that's the deal I'd insist on because uh, to, to do otherwise would would sort of, uh, you know, risk malpractice for me. Uh, you know, I think we both talked that, you know, is, is could there be a technical violation uh, in speaking uh, of the um, um, oh, my gosh, I'm forgetting the, the name of the act, the uh, 17. Right. I know the one you're talking they, about. Sure. The um, oh, how embarrassing. Uh, anyway, the, that the one. Uh, act that that uh, forbids um, uh, personal uh, foreign policy making. Um, again, that no one's ever been prosecuted under. Sure, I think there could be a technical violation there. Um, and, you know, would it be would someone make political sport of, of trying to prosecute him for that? Yes. Uh, so I understand that. Um, but I, I, I do think it might be, you know, listen, if you want to have an investigation, part of an investigation uh, often entails granting immunity to key witnesses so that you can learn more. Uh, and that's that's certainly there's certainly precedent for that happening uh, in in, uh, uh, you know, investigations of, of Democrats. Um, sure. But you know, by, the, but the, by the Hillary's uh, uh, aides and there was even the, you know, hammer smashing of uh, of cell phones. But that's, you know, so. So, by, no, I mean, but, I, I think it's sure it's embarrassing for uh, Flynn and Trump to have made those statements. Okay. Of if you uh, seek immunity, you must be guilty. Um, that's kind of that's kind of, you know, that's that's politics. So presumably uh, they don't feel that way anymore. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Or is how, it or is it sorry? They feel is it <laughs> when 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 you seek immunity, you're guilty. But when I seek immunity, it's just because I'm just, you know, pursuing a smart legal strategy. Right. Well, no, and I, I'm, I think of it's, course, it's a matter of, you know, everybody's playing the game. Sure. And if the no, other side right. says yeah. I want immunity, the the natural response for your side to say is ah, you must be guilty. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's that's just sort of the standard move uh, that that you always make. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that uh, immunity may be a necessary tool uh, to get to the bottom of uh, with the investigation. Now, let me ask you this. You don't think that Nunes is at all compromised given what he's done? I mean, Democrats are calling for him to, to step down. Uh, you, you don't think that there are any concerns about his his very close ties to the, to the White House and sort of the activities he's been involved in? Or, or do you think that he's still capable of being an impartial chair of, of this committee that's investigating a president who he seems to stand very, very strongly behind? I, I think it's I think it's OK until we've seen more evidence. I mean, the idea is that, look, he is a, a Trump loyalist. All right. Fair enough. That's probably, you know, what you what you might expect uh, when you have a, a, uh, chairman who's of the same party. Um, but, but let's see where the, the evidence leads. I, I don't see anything yet that he's done, uh, that would, in, in your words, you know, again, grind an investigation to a halt. It's certainly lost momentum. Uh, we'll see what, what happens down the road. But, but, but you can I, understand I, why I, Democrats I are concerned the idea that, that, uh, you know, everyone has the, has to recuse themselves or, or step aside um, just because they they may have some relationship with with the president or to be on the same the same party as the president. Sure, but but given what's happened, I I imagine you can understand why Democrats are concerned. Right, and that's why I think we he ought to have some system and move forward and make sure that whatever information he's had access to is shared to the entire committee. Uh, and that, uh, you know, everyone's on the same page as, as we move forward. Now, I mean, if, if the situation remains where Nunez has, gets information, receives information, uh, makes statements, but then doesn't release the information. I mean, that's, that's obviously problematic and, uh, you gotta be called on it at, at that point, but I don't think we're at that point yet. Yeah. Well, you as, know, as we, we, as we said last week, I mean, I think the, the issue was he, he it was a terrible political rollout when he he just sort of botched the uh, uh, the announcement of, of whatever it is he's got. And and again, the, the frustrating thing that that I keep coming back to uh, in this kind of investigation is there's there's so much that we just don't know and, and we don't know what we don't know. Um, so, 
You know, I should. One thing I wanted to point out is that there's sort of a history of when when there are House and Senate investigations that the House investigation tends to be a lot more partisan. The Senate tends to be the more sort of grown up, mature, responsible, bipartisan uh, branch or or chamber. Sorry. Uh, You know, I was thinking about, you know, back in the in the mid-70s where you had uh, House and Senate investigations of uh, CIA activity or illegality. Uh, On the Senate side, you had the Church Commission, and on the House side, you had the Pike Commission, and the Pike Pike Commission basically just fell apart in the partisan bickering, whereas the Church Commission actually led to something. And so this kind of follows a very long-standing trend of the Senate being, in a sense, better equipped, I guess you could say, institutionally or by tradition to conduct a, a, a fair or more, more impartial investigation. So it's not really any surprise, at least not to me. I think that's probably right. Uh, again, the institutions are different uh, for a, a whole number of reasons. I mean, the, the terms at, uh, of which the, the representatives or senators serve, uh, longer Senate terms gives you a longer perspective uh, uh, the bigger, you know, district, so to speak, of a senator uh, often leads to having to, to take more moderate positions uh, than uh, than a, a, a smaller house district. And, and there are other just, again, historical institutional factors that lead the Senate to be more deliberative. Um, so I, I think that's I think that's probably right. And 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 again, that's maybe my point of let's let's not beat up on Nunez too much until we till we know more. Okay. You know, and for a while now, President Trump has been saying that the real issues here are first leakers and then, and much more wildly and irresponsibly, what he claimed was wiretapping of Trump Tower by the Obama administration during during the campaign. And, you know, despite the fact that there's no evidence of this and that it's been denied by, let's see, the intelligence community, the Obama administration, and all Republicans with access to the intelligence information that is except President Trump. And despite all this, Republican voters seem to be buying into President Trump's alternate reality. There was a new poll from CBS that came out this week, said that three out of four Republicans believe that it was somewhat likely that Trump's offices were wiretapped before the election. So what do you think's going on here with this, Jay? I think it, I think that might be maybe the inexactitude of of the phrasing, um, hmm, okay. and and what <clears throat> and it sort of plays into we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, when Trump just says stuff and he is he is notoriously imprecise, but everybody sort of knows what he's saying. Uh, so for example, when he says, "Hey, my my wires were tapped," which is which is just a wonderful phrase, and we really ought to use it more. Um, you know, he what he meant, and this is Sean Spicer said this, was he was under some sort of surveillance investigation, whether or not it was actual wiretapping pursuant to a FISA warrant and there was a target was Trump Tower and so forth, uh, that he was somehow surveilled. And that's sort of what the uh, uh, Devin Nunez has, has come out with, this so-called smoking gun, well, which we uh, haven't really seen yet, yeah, okay. uh, which indicates that there were other investigations going forward in which Trump associates had, had been swept up. Um, which, which is a again, vastly me, different be, thing that, from that saying they were surveilled. Incredible idea. And in, in the mind of the typical voter, the, the idea that, hey, if someone is listening to your phone calls one way or another, regardless of who the target was, regardless of what the building was, uh, and regardless of, of why, I mean, if you say wiretap, that well, that's fits with what, what they, they understand wiretapping. I, I, I understand your point, and I think you're you're right, probably in part there. But let's be clear: when they talk about being incidentally swept up, that that's something along the lines of if they're if they're investigating some foreign nationals or something, and they mention a Trump associate, well, then that's incidentally swept up. So I, I want to make sure that listeners aren't aren't you know taking away from this the fact that you're arguing. I, I don't think you're arguing that there was any direct surveillance or any evidence of direct surveillance of Donald Trumpers associates by uh, U.S. intelligence agencies, because, in fact, these same intelligence agencies said that that is exactly what did not happen. Well, Let's other be clear than, on that. for example, the Mike Flynn conversation with the Russian ambassador, I mean, that's that's sort of the example I would I would look to is. Yes, we're uh, conducting standard intelligence surveillance of the Russian ambassador because he's a foreign national. Right. He's the Russian ambassador. And, hey, we've got a, a allegedly, because no one's really seen the right. transcript yet, but I, I think there's enough to believe that that's, that's what happened. Um, 
you know, a, a conversation between him and Mike Flynn. Uh, and that's that's sort of what I mean. Now, again, the the statements have been that Flynn was not the target of the investigation, that that was just uh, standard, um, uh, you know, foreign intelligence surveillance. So, uh, again, those are the things I, I, I don't know. But but to your point, as far as what what the 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 average voter thinks, uh, yeah, they think that, you know, if someone someone's name gets mentioned or, or, or thrown into this, that's sort no, of that, the equivalent of wiretapping. Yeah, I, I'd I, agree that there's no evidence to show at this point um, that uh, there are actual wiretaps aimed at any Trump associates uh, other than, again, we have the, the weird sort of Jim, uh, Jim Comey statements uh, a couple of weeks ago saying, well, yes, there is an investigation. Um, and I guess we to, to conclude, well, there's an investigation, but there's no, you know, attempted surveillance or, 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 or interception of communications as part of that investigation. Um, no, I don't think that's the case at all. I think what I mean, those things I don't think are inconsistent in that there can be an investigation. And if the, the Russians are the target and the Russians certainly would be the target of that, if a, if a hostile government is trying to influence our influence our elections, we would investigate them. And if in the course of that investigation, we pick up information on people that they are being you know helped with in that process and they happen to be Trump campaign folks. Well, that doesn't mean they were the initial targets of the investigation, but that's sort right. of a, you know. A, no, no, I, I, that's, yeah, no, I agree 100% with that. That's, okay. I think that's what I'm saying. That's oh, okay. what I'm trying to say. Gotcha. You know, um, moving on, I should, a story that kind of made it a good week to be a Democrat in, in a way. Um, the Republican sort of circular firing squad in, in the wake of their healthcare failure continues this week. And, you know, President Trump launched a series of Twitter attacks against the House Freedom Caucus, and he actually even called out several members by name. Uh, but I think his tirade, I'll call it that, uh, might not have much effect on their future votes, thanks, number one, to secure districts. And also, the, the Freedom Caucus members got some support from some pretty powerful conservative organizations like Heritage Action for America, Freedom Works, Family Research Council, which really kind of blasted back at President Trump. And, you know, these same conservative groups have been pushing for the House to try again on health care. And there are some people who actually believe the House might actually give it another go. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Jay? Well, I, I, again, it's it's always a little weird um, presidents attacking congressmen by name. That seems just to be an outsized sort of sort of response. Uh, uh, <laughs> but again, we're in a, a you know a world where the president you know regularly attacks sort of you know B-list comedians and, and so forth. Here's a guy who takes uh, everything personally. Yeah. Um, Nothing is just politics with him. Yeah. And, and again, it, it seems if I'm the president, you typically don't want to elevate your opponents by by naming them and, and sort of raising their status. Yeah. Which I think he sort of has done right here. Um, that said, I, I think he's he's got every right to, to, to blast them. Uh, I, again, I disagree with the way he, he does it and the whole use of Twitter. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, the, I... You know, we, we had discussed this earlier. Yeah. I think that what happened with the Freedom Caucus taking this, um, uh, you know, making the, the perfect the enemy of the good, I, I think is a, yeah. a bad choice. Uh, and they should have uh, taken incremental steps. So we'll, we'll see what they, they come back with. Um, well, there, there were some pretty there were some pretty interesting responses from some of the people who he called out. Uh, uh, Representative Garrett from Virginia, he posted back a thing uh, saying Stockholm syndrome, you know, kind of suggesting that yes. Trump has basically become a captive of Paul Ryan and the establishment agenda. And but I think maybe my favorite response was from Thomas Massey from you know uh, from Kentucky who who said it's a swamp, not a hot tub. We both came here to drain it, drain it, which. Which I thought was great. Uh, but but anyway, uh, you know, so I, I don't really think that this helps out either the Freedom Caucus or the president. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, well, we- I would say it helps out the Freedom Caucus, if anybody. Mm-hmm. And and again, okay. it's, it's one of these these situations where this is a, a fight that Trump didn't need to have. No, exactly. And we talked about this last week and weeks before. Oftentimes he's his own worst enemy. Although he has some pretty other, other, some other pretty big enemies as well. So, but, uh, but, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't really see this coming to any kind of a, any kind of a great conclusion because Donald Trump is 
def definitely demonstrated he's not the sort of guy to back off. And the Freedom Caucus has sort of made it, you know, a point of being the sort of group that isn't interested in compromise or backing off. So you kind of have a, a, a movable object and an irresistible force here. And I don't know what the, what the end result of this is, but it's certainly not good unless you're a Democrat. <laughs> so, Unless you're a Democrat. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, before I move on, we'd like to thank our new supporters this week. Uh, our first new supporter, a very generous donor through PayPal who asked to remain anonymous. So I won't mention your name, but you know who you are. I know who you are. And we want to thank you again. Your contribution is a big help to the show. Thank you very much. Next, we have Taj, our newest Patreon monthly sustaining contributor who writes, Hey, guys, I'm an artist in Kansas City. I found your show while trying to find good, calm, and open political discussions. I look forward to your show every week, and the interviews are a great listen to are great to listen to any time. In President Trump's proposed budget, there are, as is no shock to anyone, a ton of cuts to what he and many Republicans call wasteful spending. The future for the NEA, NPR, and PBS is not looking great. The arts are essential to any complete national life, and the state owes it to itself to sustain and encourage them. As Winston Churchill said, ill fares the race which fails to salute the arts with the reverence and delight which are their due. Both FDR and JFK believed that artists were caretakers of mankind's vision for who and what we are as a people and a nation. And as President Lyndon Johnson put it, art is our nation's most precious heritage. I wanted to get both of your takes on the role that government should have with regards to support and investment in the arts. Thanks again for always trying to show different sides on important issues. So, Jay, what do you think? That's a, that's a good question. Well, first of all, I mean, Mike, you you know me, and and I don't know if our, well, our listeners know me, but I am very much a supporter of the arts. You're by uh, far the more cultured uh, of the two of us. Yes, you're, you're much more of a high culture guy in terms of music and other stuff. You always have been. You are absolutely a fan of the arts. I he am once too, described but... me as a cultural elitist. There I you think. go. Yeah, that sounds about right. Back in the day. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm... I, I completely understand that, and I I love the uh, reference to Winston Churchill. Uh, also, I thought you'd like and that. I, I think the the role of the arts uh, in in our country uh, for our uh, and as part of our national spirit, uh, national culture, I, I think that's that's tremendously important. Now, uh, to what extent do we talk about funding or or, or defunding uh, the NEA or uh, uh, NPR and so forth? That might be a little bit different different question uh, because I think there's there's a little bit of the saying well listen this is you know necessary to to have a, a robust arts community uh, in in our country and and I disagree with that proposition I'm not saying the NEA doesn't doesn't help obviously it it does it, it makes a, a big difference uh, but uh, we also had a thriving artistic community culture before there was an NEA. Uh, so I, I think the, the the idea that there is you know a, a disaster looming if there are cuts, I don't think that's that's the case. And, and I think more importantly, from the political standpoint, I don't think there's going to be any significant cuts uh, to any of uh, any of those organizations. I mean, I, I think there will be some some perhaps reductions, um, which are may well be sensible, uh, but I don't think I don't see the whole scale elimination that Trump has put put out there. I think that's a bargaining position. Uh, and I think there are enough uh, Republicans out there who see value uh, for these these institutions, the NEA and, and NPR and uh, all the other the other uh, programs that are that are funded through there. It's it's a it's a drop in the the big budgetary uh, bucket, uh, and it's important to a lot of constituents. So I think it's it's still going to be maintained. Uh, there might be some symbolic cuts here or there. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't anticipate it's going to be the end of the world. And, and even with their others, those cuts, uh, uh, I, I, I would, I wouldn't say to everyone out there, um, step up on, on your own. I mean, that's, that's sort of my, my theory and that's a conservative theory and you can agree or disagree. But, uh, you know, I give money to a lot of local arts institutions and local radio stations and so forth and, and encourage other folks to the ability they're able to, to do the same. Because uh, I think that ends up in a, a better result uh, than just having stuff government directed. Yeah, well, I, I certainly agree about the importance of the arts. I, I couldn't disagree with Winston Churchill, FDR, JFK, and, you know, Lyndon Johnson, certainly. Um, but I, I tend to think that uh, government should do more to support the arts, specifically 
in in the role of trying to make uh, high art to to make culture available to the the great masses of people. I, I don't think there's ever been a problem with a small elite having access to this. I'd like to see government do much more to kind of bring these these important and I think, you know, uh, enriching experiences to a lot more people. That is what I believe the proper government role is here. And I think, as you pointed out, it's just a drop in the bucket. I believe that with a Republican president and a Republican Congress that there are going to be some pretty significant cuts. Uh, but uh, I, I think that actually government Government should be spending more money on that if that money is directed at not kind of, you know, just that top 1% elite, but trying to make this sort of culture and arts uh, programming available to uh, uh, the masses of American folks. So, yeah, I, I want to throw in one more thing um, just because this is something that I think is significant with with a lot of these arts organizations and how government spends its money on the arts. I, I think you're right. If this is about uh, broad dissemination. Of of getting kids to to hear to symphony orchestras, uh, to supporting uh, local art museums, to those sorts of things, those are things I think everyone can get behind, and it, it is it's, it's expanding uh, the arts to to a broader range, and it's it's not just the one percent, but those are those a program that continued even during the sequester years, uh, whereby there was federal grant for someone to ride on an Amtrak train and sort of write poetry uh, about the journeys across America and discovering the soul of America uh, while riding uh, on Amtrak. Uh, this was an actual grant you could apply for. Um, maybe we should have. Uh, but it, to me, that's that's just sort of so many conservatives see this as this is emblematic of what we're paying a guy to, to ride on a train, um, albeit weren't paying him much, I don't think. But uh, again, is that is that the best use of of government money, uh, and, and could it be spent somewhere else or it could be just let, let, uh, uh the guy ride on the train on his own or, or seek public or seek uh, private funding for no, it. There are always questions. That's You're right about opportunity costs and so forth. And I would say, you know, is the best use of the money to spend, you know, 50 something billion dollars to build up our defense, you know, our, our, our military, which is already by far the largest in, in the world. And I think, you know, far, far, far larger than we need it to be. But I, I mean, I tell you, I see your point uh, when we start to get into those really kind of utilitarian arguments, but that's the whole point to me about art is it's not just about supporting programs that, you know, increase access, but it's also about supporting artists who create these things and who otherwise might not be able to. Now, you and I might not agree with certain certain grants that have been been funded and so forth, but sometimes we're not going to, and that's okay, I, I think. Know. But I know, and I, I guess my, my point is, if for these the NEA and some of these organizations, it would behoove them from a political standpoint to take a harder look at what they're funding and how they're funding it. And if they did fund the bigger the bigger pieces, the, the high culture type stuff that we're talking about uh, and greater access to that, I think they'd be more politically successful. You are an elitist, aren't you? The high culture am, versus am, yes. the guy. Yeah, so uh, that that uh, that evaluation still still works after all these years. That's good to know. Uh, okay, uh, thanks, Taj, for that that great question. I'm sure Jay, you and I could do an entire show on that, you especially do, yeah, given yeah. your 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 deep uh, and abiding interest in the arts. That might be fun. Uh, all right. Finally, this week we have Tina, who is another one of our new Patreon monthly supporters. Thank you, Tina. We truly appreciate your help in keeping us going. Now, if you're interested in supporting the show financially, you can do what Taj and Tina and our anonymous supporter did last week. Just go to politicsguys.com and click on either the Patreon or PayPal donation links you'll see there. Every, doma every donation helps no matter what the amount is. And of course, it's especially helpful for us to have continuing monthly supporters, which is something that's really easy to set up in Patreon. And finally, as always, it would be a big help if you could spread the word about the show by sharing and retweeting our new show post on Facebook and Twitter and leaving reviews and ratings of the show on iTunes. Okay, moving on. You know, the confirmation process for, for Judge Neil Gorsuch continues with the Senate Judiciary Committee scheduled to vote on his nomination on April 3rd, uh, which is, 
heck, tomorrow. Um, I'd say it's safe to expect a party-line committee vote and another mostly party-line vote in the Senate as a whole. And now this week, two Senate Democrats, uh, Joe Manchin and Heidi Heitkamp, announced that they might vote to confirm Judge Gorsuch, but that's not going to be enough to stop a Democratic filibuster and then the inevitable Republican response, which is the so-called nuclear option of changing the Senate rules to prohibit filibusters of Supreme Court nominees. This is something, of course, that the Democrats did for all non-Supreme Court nominees back in 2013 when they were the Senate majority. Now, the White House also announced this week that they would no longer involve the American Bar Association in the vetting process. Now, the ABA, which doesn't have a formal role in Supreme Court nominations, has for decades issued ratings of Supreme Court nominees, most recently giving Judge Gorsuch their top rating of well-qualified. So, Jay, how do you see all this playing out, and what do you think of the Trump administration kind of throwing the ABA, ABA to the curb? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say we should ought to throw to the ABA to the curb. Um, <laughs> These are your people, yeah, I, right? I mean, pardon? your people. Well, they, yeah, yeah, my, um, you know, I'll tell you, I am, I am a sometimes ABA member. Uh, they keep like offering, like I get like a free membership for once for a year and, you know, you get the magazine and, and all that and then it lapses and then they want more money and then I quit and then they offer me a new free membership. So, um, you know, I, I mean, I think the ABA can can uh, play a role, certainly, and make statements and do ratings, and the public can take those for what they're worth, but I don't see any reason why uh, they ought to have a, a formal role uh, in, in appointing uh, judges. And, and uh, they I don't, think they, they can don't. have the informal role yeah. as, as, you know, essentially the industry, so to speak. Um, but uh, I think that's right as far as not uh, – not having to play an actual uh, official part. Well, just to be clear, they don't have an, an official role, but the White House uh, has always at least listened to them and taken those ratings into consideration. The, the ABA says they're still going to do that. It's just that the White House, I guess, will essentially ignore that. And just for a little bit of background, uh, there are a number of conservatives who feel that the ABA is essentially this, this pinko liberal organization, and they've pointed to a number of fairly prominent conservative federal judges who have received less than the well-qualified evaluation from the ABA, such as uh, uh, Richard Posner and Frank Easterbrook, who are both very well-regarded conservative uh, federal judges who the ABA Well, and I would think- also say, yeah, with someone you were talking about, Posner and Easterbrook, they're also regarded uh, as, as really kind of intellectual giants yes, exactly. uh, in, in their field. So to, yeah, to take shots and to say that they're, they're unqualified, uh, that that's, again, that puts the, the ABA's credibility uh, sort of um, uh, at, at, not only at risk, but uh, it makes it questionable. And I think, look, if they want to make ratings, fine. And uh, others can respond that, these are the kind of ratings they make, so take it for what it's worth. Yeah, well, and again, they rated Judge Gorsuch at the, with their highest rating uh, this time, the liberal ABA. Uh, so what about the process? Did, did you agree with my assessment of sort of how it's going to play out? Yeah, I think that's that's what's going to happen, and I think that's that's a shame, and, and I think that's a mistake on the part of the Democrats. I think they should have, uh, and I suppose there's still time that they may, uh, take the route that Look, we will go ahead and uh, uh, give Gorsuch these these sixty votes and uh, um, let this let this go and not uh, go to sort of nuclear war, as it were. Um, but save that for the next nominee. The next nominee being the nominee that will actually really change the balance. Um, and, yeah. And like and and likely, let's put this way: Gorsuch is really a really good nominee for for so many reasons. Uh, it, there's a pretty high likelihood that the next nominee, and I, I, I don't know, maybe there is someone else who's who's just as good, but probably won't be. And, and you know, I, I, if I were the Democrats, I'd pick my battles and uh, uh, wait till the next one. But I, I agree. But I think, and I think that there are probably a lot of Democrats in the Senate who feel the same way. But but I think that they're getting a lot of pressure from their base to to really be activist on this and so I think some of them just feel kind of hamstrung about this so but but yeah as a matter of as a matter of longer term strategy I absolutely agree and it's uh it's unfortunate that that this is happening you know Jay just for a, kind of a change of pace how about we talk about some actual policy that sounds interesting. Yeah, yes. you know, every once in a while, it's good to do. Um, there was a bunch of environmental policy news this week. Uh, first, a couple of EPA-related stories. 
The House voted to restrict the EPA's use of scientific data that's not publicly available, which Republicans claim is all about good science, because Republicans are all about good science, but Democrats say it's intended to hamstring the agency's efforts to use the best scientific data in making decisions. And speaking of scientific data, EPA head Scott Pruitt rejected the conclusion of his agency's own scientific experts about the dangers of a commonly used pesticide, instead siding with manufacturer Dow Chemical, which claims it's safe when used as directed and shouldn't be banned. So what's this administration got against the EPA, Jay? Why do they hate the why you do know, we, why do Republicans hate the earth? Exactly. Um, no, you know, look as to the um, the House vote. I I mean, I think that's that's really pretty sensible. I mean, is, I mean, a core of of uh, 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 the scientific process is that you know results are repeatable and ought to be peer re- peer reviewed. So I I I I see. I mean, I guess when when one side says, okay, we've got the science uh, and we're going to base it on that, can we see it? No, you can't. Um, to me, that's that's a little troubling because if if it is scientifically correct, uh, then there ought to be really be no no issue with uh, putting it out there. Now, I understand the issue will would be that there would be some non-scientific actors who could take this and misrepresent it to be something that it's not. Um but I, I'm still the, the, the mind of, of more information and more public information is, is better. Well, what uh, about like, for instance, you have a cancer study that takes 30 years to to compile the evidence for. And so it would be another 30 years till it's repeatable. So you just wait. No, but you but you certainly allow uh, someone else to take a look at that evidence and take a look at that study and take a look at the, the, the how it was done, why it was done, okay. what were criticisms okay. of it. Okay, uh, let, and, let me let me follow that through. Own, That's you know, fair. Decisions on that. So That's I, I fair. Don't... Let me follow that through then. So now for the EPA to do this, they would have to pay for that information because it's, you know, that's it's a lot of times it's proprietary information. They have to work out deals with people to get this information. Now, so if the if well, Republicans I would, have, I would have no objection to to whoever wants to get proprietary some information that is uh uh you know, there's a cost to that they have to pay the cost. Well, see, that's, I'm not that's suggesting the, that, that's, that the EPA sort of subsidize but, handing this out to anybody. And that's that's where I think that this is just a smokescreen, because if it were all about the transparency and getting the best data, then the EPA would be given the funds to do this. Instead, the administration is calling for massive cuts in the EPA. And so if you're saying, well, you need to use this data and get this data, but we're going to make sure that you don't have the budget to actually do this, it's basically, again, just handcuffing the agency. If they're serious about it, they should pass this legislation and then say, also, we're going to make sure you have the funding to do this right. But the, but the administration, House Republicans are going in the exact opposite way. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, I, I guess maybe I'm misunderstanding your, your position on, on this because I, I think we, we might agree. Um, is, is the at this point it would be revenue neutral it's it's just a matter of the EPA if they're going to rely on something uh, ha- has to make sure that 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 what they're relying on is publicly available now I, I don't I don't I didn't interpret public and publicly available as to mean publicly available for free uh, but it's it's something that is not uh, no, what is secret sorry. or proprietary sure. to the EPA? Someone what, else would take a look at it. What it would mean is that that yes, yeah, someone else would have to take a look at it, and because some of this data is not does not have this status, the EPA would have to find a way to compensate the people who own this information, who have this information, and that would cost uh, that would cost millions of dollars that the EPA doesn't have. So I'm saying that if Republicans are serious about this. Let's pass legislation that says, okay, we, we, we expect you to do this for these reasons, but we're not, we're going to make sure that you actually have the funding to do it. Yeah. Or, or I would say the alternative is to say, it's sort of just a, a pass through. If you want this information, here's how much it will cost. I, I don't, I, I think that's really the perfect, elegant conservative solution. Uh, if, if someone in the private sector, uh, someone the public wants this, they can pull together. Okay, well, they, the and, and that's the pull over the money, raise the money to, to, to get it. Now, sure. again, if it comes out that this is somehow, you know, the pricing is, is so out of whack that it's intended to, to you know, keep it hidden, that's that's a different yeah. issue. But Well, and that's not what the legislation says. And I, I certainly know that you have 
for a long time been, and forever as far as I know, been a fan of transparency and then more information, as am I. But again, this legislation is written in such a way that it doesn't really achieve what its proponents claim it's ostensibly about. Um, okay. So what about uh, what about Scott Pruitt just ignoring his own his own scientific experts and saying, "Oh, I'm sure Dow Chemicals right about this. They're good. They're good folks." Come on, Dow Chemical mixes. Who's going to know better than Dow Chemical? Yeah, right? uh huh. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, Scott Pruitt. We've talked about this before. He's a guy who's made a career out of suing the EPA, and uh, this is uh, uh, Republicans in general, conservatives in general, have major, major issues with the EPA and have had. Since really, since the seventies, really. Right. Well, since its creation, no, I, I I'd agree with that. Um, you know, I, I I'll tell you what, I I will admit I don't have the depth to really talk to, you know, this this issue on 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 what um, Pruitt recommended and didn't recommend. Um, but but certainly it's troubling if the government is just going to say we're going to ignore our own people and take what the industry says uh, as gospel. Um, that's not to say that you shouldn't take what the industry says and consider it. Absolutely. Uh, because I, I think you should. Now, I think there there may be some sort of balance in there uh, somewhere between. I Likewise, I don't think you should simply take what the uh, EPA folks say as gospel when when the uh, you know industry tells you something different. Again, to me, that's the whole nature of science. If you have, have, have two competing um, views, then, okay, let's, let's put them to the test. I don't disagree with that at all. You're right, Jay. So, yeah. You know, also this week, more environmental news, President Trump issued an executive order, did a bunch of stuff. Uh, some of the main things, I think, number one, it lifts, it lifts the ban on new coal mining on federal lands. Uh, it instructs federal agencies to ignore previously established social cost of carbon uh figure, I think it's $36 per, I want to say metric ton or something, uh, that's been used to estimate the cost and benefits of environmental regulation. And it also, it starts the process of repealing the Obama administration's clean power plan, which would have resulted in hundreds of coal-burning power plants being closed, as well as major growth in clean power alternatives like wind and solar. Now, the plan actually hasn't gone into effect because it's been held up at in the courts to this point, which is a very common fate for new regulations that industry doesn't like. And energy experts and energy companies, for that matter, don't really see this as having as big of an effect on jobs as the president claims it will have for two main reasons. Number one, automation means that companies can mine more coal with fewer workers. And second, other fossil fuels, particularly natural gas, are now more cost effective than coal. So uh, what do you think about the, this executive order and its ramifications, Jay? Oh, I think it's, I think it's okay. <laughs> I guess that's the easiest way to, to put it. He's keeping a campaign promise uh, to, to open up, uh, you know, to be more friendly to the, the coal industry. Uh, he was pretty upfront with that um, in his campaign. Uh, and as you remember, I mean, Barack Obama was, was pretty upfront with saying he'd like to bankrupt the, uh, the, the, the coal industry. So I, I don't think it's any surprise, um, you know, in, in terms of, of jobs, will it have an effect? Uh, you're probably right. The automation, uh, has, has changed a lot, but I, I think there's still going to be some job increase. Now, I, I don't have the numbers to, to say, here's what it's going to be. Um, but, but we're opening that up and we're keeping more energy options open, uh, and I think that's a good thing. Well, and you know, um, but, but but what about this? There is uh, people on both sides of the political spectrum, or on all sides of the political spectrum, would agree that there is, in fact, a, a social cost to carbon. Maybe Scott Pruitt wouldn't agree with that. I don't know. But but and what we mean by social cost to carbon is that most folks would agree that by burning any fossil fuel, you create certain externalities, certain certain costs uh, in the future that need to be accounted for. And uh, prior to this, the under the Obama administration, they formed a working group that determined what they felt was a correct, uh, fair social cost for carbon. And that number was used in trying to figure out, well, if we regulate the fossil fuel industry, you know, what will be the cost and what will be the benefits that was weighed into the, uh, the formula as, as well it should be because, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch and you can't burn fossil fuels without incurring certain negative costs in terms of environmental degradation. You'd agree with that, right, Jay? 
Hey, well, I mean, let's I, really? I, I'm, again, I'm not sure what all goes into the social cost. No, of, I'm not. I'm of, not saying I'm just carbon. in general. The, the I, it's, principle. To me, it's to me. Look, I mean, if you're saying, uh, you know, this burning this uh, metric ton of coal will result in uh, costs because increased insurance costs because. Uh, there will be uh, global warming, which increases the likelihood of a hurricane. And this will, I mean, to me, that that seems pretty, pretty, uh, I don't want to say far-fetched, but I think there's a lot of extrapolations in there, which which may or may not come true. And to me, the... Sure, but you agree the cost isn't zero. I I see this as sort of a minor issue also in terms of what what does it really, what's it really going to do at the end of the day? Um, so then would you, would you then also agree that companies should be allowed to dump waste in waterways because, you know, there's no social, <laughs> I mean, let's it's, no, it's a similar thing. Take a look at the, course, take a look at the air. But that's my point yeah. is, is, you know, for instance, if you take a look at the air on, on oftentimes many days above, you know, uh, Beijing or something like that, or a lot of places where there's so much fall. I mean, there were, there are some pretty clear effects here in terms of air quality, in terms of in terms of respiratory health and so forth, these things are undeniable. Even if we don't talk about climate change. All right. So, what 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 I get you what I get you saying? And again, I I have no idea what social uh, cost number that Beijing uses for for coal, um, or that the the air over Beijing is necessarily a, a product of of coal burning. And let's let's stipulate that that part of it is, but. Um, all right. If if you want to if you want to say that uh, attribute some social cost to uh, increased smog in in certain areas, I, you know, again, maybe that's an easy number to assign. Um, but I, look, I, I think what what the administration is saying is we're not using the old number. Go back and refigure it. Uh, let's let's you know. And I I don't think that's unreasonable. No, I don't I, think that's, I, I don't think that's the equivalent of. Of uh, you know, pouring waste into the waterways. No, I okay. Uh, I mean, we we, I mean, we needed is, to. We were we well, were talking we're talking about things like um, particulates in coal and and so forth. Um, you know, which a lot of this was addressed by the, the Clean Air Act back in in uh, 1990. Uh, it, it's one thing to say here's here's the pollution that comes from coal. That is the the um, uh, the parts of of the uh, coal that aren't efficiently burned and are then put up in the atmosphere. Uh, but the chemical reaction part of it, of, of you burn carbon and you get carbon dioxide, um, that's that's something different. And again, I I would say the, the one is easier to measure than the other, at least as far sure. as its, its actual effect. And, no, I agree um, with you on that. But I just wanted, I think we were just kind of talking past each other a little bit there, but where I think, uh, you know, Reasonable people can disagree about what the social costs of fossil fuels are. And certainly, uh, I would say it's fair to say that liberals probably rate them a lot higher than conservatives would. But my the point I was making is that there is, in fact, a cost. And so it's not just the question of more jobs versus fewer jobs. There are other factors to consider. And right. I, no, I, I, I would I would agree that there is it, again, it's there's no such thing as a free lunch exactly. and there's always a trade off. And, you know, my um, concern, and but, I think a reasonable concern is that what we're doing is we're putting these costs on future generations saying that, well, you know, we'll, we'll let them worry about it. And that's, I think, you know, a, a deeply unfair sort of thing to do. Okay. Well, I, again, that's, that's where I think we, we disagree because I, I could see it's an easier measurement to say here are the current costs where we can measure pollutants coming out of a smokestack uh, and tie that to, to health concerns or smog versus Here's a prediction of of what could happen, you know, with a one degree temperature raise a hundred years from now. No, and I, I see you, the science on that is definitely a lot a lot more speculative. You're absolutely right about that. So that was the word I was looking for, speculative. There you go. I'm happy to help out. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, uh, one final thing, one final story today. I'm hoping we could talk about some foreign policy news. Uh, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson was in Brussels this week to meet with NATO ministers, and I think two big things came out of this meeting. First, Tillerson's comments making it clear that Russia is no friend to the United States, but rather an aggressive strategic competitor. Second was his claim that other NATO members haven't been pulling their weight, which is 
been a common refrain from President Trump. Uh, specifically, Tillerson said members should live up to their commitment to spend about 2% of their country's GDP on defense, a goal that the U.S. easily meets, but that most other NATO members haven't hit yet. Now, the response was not good. In fact, Germany's representative saying the, the idea that they'd spend 2% of their GDP on defense was nonsense and that other security spending, such as large amounts many countries spend on uh, refugee-related issues, for instance, should be considered as part of the total. So, Jay, uh, first off, any thoughts on Tillerson's comments on Russia? And do you agree, uh, secondly, that other NATO countries are coasting off the United States? Uh, yes and yes. Um, I would say... Uh, Tillerson, good, good on him. Um, you know, if the concern has been that the Trump administration is going to somehow be uh, soft on on Russia, I mean, these are the kind of statements that they need to make, and I think that description um, uh, of of Russia is 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 accurate. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's that's almost a, a shift in uh, in uh, uh, our view towards Russia. Uh, which again, you had the the reset era, uh, you had the more flexibility era, uh, and you know the 80s called they want their foreign policy back, all that sort of stuff. Now to say no, look, we view Russia as a serious um, uh, competitor. I think is a, is a good way to to put it. Not necessarily an enemy, but but certainly a country that doesn't have our best interests at heart. That's for sure. Uh, and is aggressive in in pushing out there. So. No, I, I think that's that's the good statement to make, and that reinforces the need to have a strong NATO. Um, and to have a strong NATO, you you need to have other members pulling their weight. So I, I think that's a completely reasonable request for Tillerson to ask these other countries to to step up and honor the commitments that they made. Um, you know, again, it's 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 one of these. And right well, now, just he's painted be, as radical of, of as Trump threatening to pull out a NATO. No, it's it's yeah. it's saying, look, this was the deal, and and it's not unreasonable to expect these these other nations to uh, honor honor that deal. Yeah, and this this was a commitment that uh, on several occasions NATO members said that they would shoot for, and there are a few who are at that level. The United States, I already mentioned. Um, uh, Britain is pretty much at that level. France is pretty much at that level. But then after Turkey, but they're obviously a lot smaller economy and, and Greece, again, a lot smaller economy. But pretty much everyone else is has not come close to that. And Germany, of course, is particularly important because they have, you know, I think what in one of the top five Germany economies. Germany has the economic yeah, strength to make that kind of could, contribution. Exactly. And, they could easily and, do and that. And the leadership role in Europe uh, to to step up to that. Yeah. Exactly. So that's something I think that Jay, you and I have talked about before. We both, we both agree that that is one of the, one of the more reasonable uh, suggestions, demands, requests, what have you, of the Trump administration that these, uh, that these other countries in the alliance do what, do what they say that, uh, you know, they, they wanted to do, or they, they committed themselves to do. Though that said, I also think that you know, the German minister might have a point in that, well, what do we count as security spending or defense spending? Now, you can look at it a number of ways. Is it just what you spend on your military? Or are there other security-related issues like refugee issues, which certainly are linked to that, that maybe should at least be factored into that in some way? And I think it's reasonable to have a conversation about that and not just make it a, well, it's all about what you spend on your military. Yeah, no, and I think that that makes sense. I mean, and also, I would say there are probably some countries that are better equipped to make more contributions that are non-traditional military mm -hmm. uh, and, and can do more uh, in terms of, of, of diplomatic and and other ways there. So, so absolutely, let's let's have that discussion, but let's still make sure that everyone is contributing in a meaningful way. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely agree. Well, on that note of Concord, I think we'll wrap it up for this week. Uh, All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or questions for Ask the Politics Guys, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is mail at politicsguys.com. Our Facebook page, where we post throughout the week, is facebook.com slash politicsguys page. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. And we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe to the show, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast service you use. And sharing and retweeting our new show posts and tweets also helps out a lot. And if you'd like to support the show financially, you can do that through the Patreon or PayPal links on our website. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.